0: part one chapter twenty three of johnny reb and billy yank by alexander hunter this librivox recording is in the public domain sights and scenes in prison with two guards apiece we made our way to the rear seeing at a glance what madness it had been to send a brigade against such a force as this a six-gun battery in our front one on each flank with mccall's whole pennsylvania division in the advance backed by a heavy reserve another mistake, with a heavy slaughter, of course, for us. It was an exciting time. This wide road was filled with marching soldiers, batteries of artillery dashed by, hardly discernible in the huge clouds of dust which they raised. Brigade after brigade was taking position, going in a double-quick, as if they had no time to spare. How martial and soldier-like they looked, too! How distinguished in their uniforms! Used as we had been to the varying variegated shades of homespun and butternut, which were as ugly as unpretending, the spectacle of those blue coats, their gleaming arms, together with their bold warlike appearance, their high discipline, struck us with admiration, a little mixed with wonder. The struggle was at its height. A vast volume of firing swelled up in a grand refrain. The field was filled with stragglers, and the slightly wounded were coming out of the fight by hundreds. A brigade passed us on a run to the front, each man with a spade strapped to his left hip. At the time we did not know the exact use of those implements so carried, unless it was to bury their dead. It never occurred to our minds that they were used to throw up rifle-pits in case of need. After a retreat of about a mile, our conductors halted where there was some prisoners seated on the ground, surrounded by a heavy guard. We were then turned in amongst the throng, and to our delight found others, ten or twelve, of the seventeenth regiment. Misery certainly does love company. No one can deny that sentiment in the unregenerate heart of man. To our eager questionings they could make no reply, having been, like ourselves, scattered from the main body, and gathered up singly or in groups of two or three by the enemy, who took them in just as a crack sportsman would pick up the dispersed partridges after the covey had been flushed the uproar by this time was fairly deafening while the mingled clouds of smoke and dust hung like a pall over where the blue and gray had locked horns it was a great fight that was raging and momentous issues were at stake so we sat there most absorbingly interested we did all that our individual efforts could do all now that remained of duty was to take matters as quietly as possible it soon becomes a soldier's philosophy to waste no time in vain longing or fruitless regrets so we watched the denouement. An hour had passed, and still the firing had not lessened. It appeared to be a dogged, persistent, face-to-face, foot-to-foot stand-up conflict. Would their reserves never give out? we asked each other, as brigades and divisions flowed onward to the woods. And can we ever face such a force as they have massed in column? The answer came sooner than had been expected for in one supreme moment the noise of the artillery and musketry reached such an infernal clamour that it seemed that the last day on earth had come, and the sleepers were to be awakened from their graves. Every face was pale, both of prisoners and guards. A thousand stragglers were rushing frantically to the rear, and the battle's thunder came closer. The bluecoats were falling back. No one could doubt that, but there was nothing of a rout in those serried lines, only a giving of the ground, inch by inch." More closely yet sounded the roaring of the guns, and a stream of wounded now broke through the solid ranks, some without their knapsacks and bareheaded, some panic-stricken. But there was nothing in that. Even veterans would tremble as they entered into or retired from the mouth of such a fire-smitten hell. We were forced to make still another retrograde movement of several hundred yards, for the rebel shells were bursting uncomfortably close, and the Yankee batteries were taking position immediately in front of us. The dust was blinding, it settled over everything. It covered horses and men with a dry coating. It stung our faces like so many gnats. We breathed it, we swallowed it, it lined our throats and inflamed our lungs. It made our eyes bloodshot. It parched our tongues. It was impalpable, ubiquitous, and almost maddening. With all, there was no water to be had. Just as the sun was sinking behind the woods, quiet settled over the front of the battleground. Even the skirmishers had stopped their firing, when a brigadier-general with his staff rode up to our squad and opened conversation. "'What brigade do you belong to?' he asked. "'Kempers,' someone answered. "'Where is Jackson's force?' "'In your rear, I reckon.' "'Is Longstreet commanding in our front in person?' "'Reckon so. Haven't seen him.' "'Is it true that General Lee is killed?' "'No. It's a damn lie.' Just as he was about to ride off, one of his aides, a spruce young fellow in a natty uniform, said to me, "'What are you rebels fighting for, anyway?' The question struck me there and then as supremely ludicrous. Here were we Virginians standing on our own soil, fighting on our native heath against an invading army, defending what every man holds dear, his home and fireside, as well ask a gamecock why he crows and bears his spurs on his own dunghill. So I replied— "'we are fighting to protect our mint beds.' "'There was an Irishman on the staff, and he nearly fell off his saddle. "'He spurred his horse forward, and slapped me on the shoulder, and said, "'True for ye me, boy, there's not a lad in old Ireland "'that wouldn't do the same for his poteen.' "'Even the brigadier smiled, and said that he had heard often of a Virginia julep, "'but never had tasted one, and the group clattered away, laughing. "'Again, for the last time, the approaching storm of battle "'forced both guards and prisoners back.' it was dusk when this occurred and the sounds of the battle died away with remarkable suddenness only one rattling volley then silence the same story over again we thought a desperate struggle blood flowing like water and nothing decisive the night was lovely a full moon slowly rose from the horizon and its resplendent light made the scene almost as bright as day the soft rays covered the earth with a mantle of charity hiding what was rough and unseemly, and bringing out in greater beauty all that was fair and lovely before. They made a fairyland of fallow fields, they touched the woods with mellow radiance. They entered the soldier's heart, and softened it with thoughts of home. They breathed upon the air, so lately rent with the mad sounds of vengeful strife, a holy peace be still they calmed the fierce passions of contending armies into a lull that had the solemn quiet of cathedral aisles fragrant with the incense of ascending prayer they rested as softly and solemnly on the faces of the dead as would some farewell kiss dedicating them to their future rest lovingly like the benediction of god the prisoners could not sleep but sat in a circle and talked over the events of the day the yankees around us had claimed a victory but we knew better than that at the very best for them it could have been only a drawn battle our sole anxiety therefore was for our regiment and brigade we knew the loss must have been heavy charging with a single line such a heavy force in front so we waited and watched anxiously for news prisoners singly and in squads were being brought in every few minutes now Here we had conclusive evidence before our eyes that the accounts of the demoralization of the Yankees, which had been told and believed by our troops, had not the slightest truth or the barest foundation. These soldiers around us were full of enthusiasm. They actually claimed every engagement that had taken place within the last few days. When asked why McClellan was retreating and burning his stores behind him, they replied that he was merely consolidating his forces with the intention of taking Richmond in the rear that it was in other words only a voluntary change of base never was an army in better plight than the army of the potomac on that evening of the thirtieth of june eighteen sixty two a murmuring sound way off in the distance attracted our attention it came nearer rising louder every minute until it swelled into a mighty shout as thousands upon thousands of voices rang out their enthusiastic cheers asking the meaning of this demonstration a soldier in answer pointed out a group of passing horsemen which he said were little mac and his staff it was not quite light enough to distinguish the features of the commanding general nor was he sufficiently near but we could see that he held his hat above his head in acknowledgment of the tribute his soldiers paid him at last overcome by fatigue we lay down in the middle of the road in the dust for we had neither blankets nor overcoats and like a litter of pigs nestled closely for comfort Hardly had we fallen asleep before the cry of, Here comes the cavalry, scattered guards and prisoners right and left. It was a false alarm, but it was some time before everything was serene again. How easy to have escaped during that stampede, especially as the dust had made it hard to distinguish between friend and foe. None of us thought of it till afterwards, except one, a member of the Seventeenth, who had quietly stolen away. Coolness and self-possession are not always inherent. They are faculties that need training well and long in the rough school of experience, ere they stand one in good stead. About ten o'clock, the prisoners were formed into line for a long march. The officer in command told us that we should observe perfect silence en route, that our lives depended on a strict obedience to this order, as the guard would bayonet any prisoner who might venture to offend by so much as a word. It is needless to say that the most talkative man in the squad soon became remarkably mute. Our faces were then turned toward the James River, and we commenced our silent march. Not a syllable was even whispered, nor did we stop at all, except to let troops pass and repass every now and then, which they did without so much as the rasping of a gun or the jingle of a canteen against a bayonet resting within the scabbard. It was a weird scene, the moving of that noiseless host through the shadows which the pine-trees cast beneath the moon, almost as if the disembodied souls, from the seven days' battles, had taken form again, and were marching phantom-like to the sound of spirit music through the woods, joining forces, and moving in one vast procession into the unseen world. We could easily see that this road was the open line of their retreat, which they were fearful might be closed, hence all this secrecy and silence. This looked more as if the Yankees were escaping from a trap set by the rebels than a victorious army taking a new position." The march became wearisome after a while, and both guards and prisoners had hard work to keep their eyes open. A few of us started to escape several times, but wanted the nerve. It looked so easy to jump by the weary, unsuspecting guards into the dark recesses of the woods before they could fire. Indeed, it is not certain whether, under the circumstances, they would have fired. Every prisoner there could have gotten away that night, had he only made a rush. The small procession was halted about one o'clock, in a small field on the edge of the swamp, and were asleep, all of them, before they could have been introduced to that ambiguous Mr. Jack Robinson, had he come along for that special honor. But a dozen times were we roused from our sleep, and made to fall into line, and then dropped down overcome, only to be aroused again, and tortured, until we prayed for the light, destruction, anything, rather than the darkness and disturbance. The dawn came at last, faintly tingling the fog, and resting on the swamp like a dark veil, heavy, opaque, and damp. The mist seemed determined to contest the advance of the day-god, but when the sun rose above the treetops, it swept away its phantom foe with a few glancing beams, and soon set the earth simmering in a sickly heat. Falling in line, hungry, unwashed, and unrested, still keeping the road, we soon overtook another squad of prisoners belonging to the 17th. Hector Etches was limping painfully along with them, a buckshot having lodged in his knee-pan after about three hours march our captors came in sight of the james river and there halted for a time the sun's beams poured down the river shone like burnished silver before us lay broad sloping meadows reaching away for miles with not so much as a grove to intercept the view on this immense plateau were two corps of mcclellan's army looking as fresh as if they had never fired a gun or marched a mile One of our numbers said that he tried to count the regiments by the flags, and had reached as high as twenty-five when he lost the tally. There could not have been less than twenty thousand men. Keeping on, we soon reached Harrison's landing, and to our surprise and universal satisfaction, saw sitting under the trees about seventy of the seventeenth regiment, with Colonel Mary at their head. There were three captains, nearly a dozen lieutenants, and the balance rank and file. They were busily engaged in some discussion, and when we perceived each familiar face, a mutual shout went up, and handshakings were liberally indulged in all around. Now for the first time we learned all about the battle and the extent of our loss. Nearly five hundred men were killed, captured, and wounded in the brigade, fully one-fourth of the whole number. The seventeenth had lost one-third of its fighting strength. Company A suffered severely. Four killed outright, nine wounded badly, thirteen prisoners conrad johnson was seen lying at the foot of a tree dead a staunch friend and as fearless as any soldier who ever sighted a musket brave true heart that band of captives resolved themselves into an indignation meeting in which the blame of the present disaster to the brigade was laid at the door of the brigadier a second time had that crack organization been rushed into the jaws of destruction through his gross mismanagement it seemed he had ordered his command to advance into an unfamiliar interminable swamp for the purpose of capturing a battery on the other side how many supports that battery had or just where the battery was he had not the slightest conception nor did he send skirmishers before attacking instead he formed the line with no reserves no supports in the rear with what results just what might have been anticipated the brigade dashed like incoming waves upon a rock In the form of McCall's division with its heavy reserve force, and in place of a single battery, as it had been assumed they would attack and capture, they found a whole battalion of artillery. When we charged in such poor strength, the reserve division flanked our limited line and took the troop by flank and front. The other regiments made their escape, but only by running the gauntlet and incurring heavy loss. Comment was not wanting, and conjectures upon the, well, say mistake if you will, were severe among the rank and file good god to think of one thousand of the very flower of the old dominion sacrificed by the incompetence of a man who surely should have known better caused the privates of the seventeenth to use language strong indignant and to the point the color-bearers of the command had gotten out safely with their flags which was all the consolation we could manage to extract from such an accumulation of woes we remained in this cool shady grove all day for which we were duly thankful we had rations issued crackers coffee sugar and meat of good quality and fair quantity the rumbling of artillery in the vicinity of richmond became more frequent as twilight grew toward night and as we lay stretched at ease enjoying the glories of that exquisite summer evening we could not help but remember that the contest of the titans was being now enacted and that yonder setting sun was sinking behind a sea of blood the next morning it commenced raining and we were ordered into ranks and marched one or two miles only stopping when we had reached the marshiest bottom possible to find there a square was marked out on the ground and around the edges of which the sentinels were posted and we learned for the first time the meaning of a dead-line it was simply a line drawn upon the ground a step beyond which was death All that day we had literally to stand it, for the ground was too wet to sit upon, and the rainfall, which always follows a great battle, now came down in a continuous stream, just as if nature had many ugly stains to wash away from earth, or else weeping for her children, for their wrath, their wounds, their dead, with great splashes of tears which knew no stint or comfort. The space in which we were confined was very limited, indeed, not larger than a moderate-sized sheepfold and the mud trodden by many feet was soon a mire. It was tiresome, rather, standing first on one foot, then on another, like an old rooster. The hours dragged by, and then came the evening, but with no diminution of the rain, nor of our misery. Our faces were well washed by this time. The hope of being removed to some place of shelter, a hope which we had fondly cherished, was doomed to disappointment, for the painful truth, forced itself upon the mind that we were to spend the night in this worse than hog-pen our officers field and staff fared better having been put as a single mark of favor in a corn-house near by the federal rank and file of the army of the potomac were not held in the estimation of their officers as in the army of northern virginia it was a rare thing for men of great wealth or high social standing to be found carrying a musket or swinging a sabre at the beginning of the war When brimming over with patriotism, all classes rushed to volunteer, but when war became a business, any man with any degree of prestige or influence sought and obtained shoulder straps. In our army it was different. There was not a company, in the Virginia forces at least, where the privates were not the social equal of their officers. When the son of the commander-in-chief, Robert E. Lee, served as a private, he made an example that all were proud to follow the women of the south made it a point to honour the private in the ranks above all others dark yes pitch dark the essence of blackness and a flood coming down at the same time the question we ruefully asked each other was where are we to sleep what are we going to do as we stood shivering with water above our army brogans the situation was deplorable not one of us had a blanket much less an overcoat nothing but our simple jackets which had become thoroughly soaked during the first five minutes of rain. We shouted to the sentinels. We appealed to the officer of the day when he came to relieve guard, but a rough answer was all he vouchsafed. Huddled close together like cattle, some stood in sullen silence, others cursed and swore. A few, in a desperate effort, chanted a social glee, while Hartley, the best singer in the regiment, and like poor Yorick, a fellow of infinite jest, caused a spasmodic grin to pass over the faces of the most miserable as he sang the sea-song i'm afloat then he ended by ringing out as it seemed in mockery that gay camp song a soldier's the life for me boys some of the billy yanks showed us most disinterested kindness by sharing with us their hot coffee and doing all in their power to alleviate our woes but they were not at liberty to carry us to shelter nor to give us blankets however we thanked them in our hearts for what they had done and would have done it was very chilly and our teeth were chattering so we could scarcely eat our crackers for we knew the rain would saturate them in the thin haversacks and a soldier eats by instinct how stiff aching and numbed were our poor legs the voices so lately chanting their songs now sank to a dismal howl then to a savage muttering and soon even that was stilled in this manner we passed the greater part of the night and when at last fatigue had made us insensible to the mud, the water, and the rain, we crept close together, and lying down with caps drawn over our faces, forgot our misery in the oblivion of sleep. The drum, beating the guard-mounting, awoke the prisoners to a scene which was not enlivening. It was still raining, and the men were numbed and stiffened by the exposure of sleeping on the ground, their features wearing a look of dumb misery. The rain it raineth every day, it came down when it was time that any reasonable poor would have held up, but the leaden-hued sky did not show a rift in the clouds. The men were not allowed to move out of the narrow limits, not even to get water to drink. What they used was obtained from the little holes or miniature wells which they hollowed out with their hands in the mire. It was so muddy, brackish, and filthy that nothing but the sternest necessity compelled them to drink it. Imagine water out of the puddles in a barnyard and some idea may be gained of what this form of suffering was of what we had to endure we now beheld the strict discipline that prevailed in the ranks of the regular army of the united states and in what low consideration the soldiers were held by the shoulder strapped officers On one occasion during the guard mounting of the regiment, which was the eighth United States Regulars, as the officer of the day was going through the routine of inspecting muskets of the men detailed for guard duty, he came across one weapon which was slightly rusty. Taking it out of the bearer's hands, he deliberately drew back and drove the butt end of the musket full in the soldier's face, knocking him backward and mangling his features terribly. No notice was taken of the cowardly act, and the brute kept on down the line had one of the officers so treated a private in the confederate army he would have been bayoneted on the spot had the overseer of a virginia plantation so punished a slave the master had he been a gentleman would have shot him in an instant our pen was now changed from mud into a liquid slime it was impossible for the men to become any muddier dirtier or more thoroughly soaked so they lay down in the filth that even a hog might reject but where was the remedy the yankee guard and soldiers cried shame at our treatment and noble fellows that they were did the only thing that was in their power to mitigate the wretchedness shared their hot coffee but the officers took no notice of our complaints toward evening the prisoners became reckless and desperate for they saw it was impossible to spend another night in that quagmire already up to the knees and in which none could have laid down without sinking beneath the surface we shouted so long and loud for our colonel that he came to us under guard, and when he saw our condition, so dirty, muddy, and swinish indeed, that it hardly needed the touch of Circe's wand to convert us into hogs, a more angry man it would have been hard to find in the two armies. He had to swallow his wrath, but he went to the officer in command and painted our woeful condition in such strong colours that it had a beneficial effect.' Inasmuch as in an hour or two a large squad of men came, bringing arms full of hay, which they distributed lavishly to the prisoners. Then they brought rails and sticks of wood, which served as foundations for the beds. Though it rained hard all night, we managed to sleep through it comfortably. The faint beams of the sun, striving to dispel the mists, showed us the worst was now past. Under his warm rays we dried our clothes, and the blood was sent circulating through the erstwhile numbed limbs. In the afternoon we were formed in rank, and leaving our wallow, though we carried away plenty of mud by way of mementos, we were marched up the river and bivouacked for the night in a grove of trees. It was not until late in the evening of the next day that we stepped on the wharf at Harrison's landing, prepared to take passage on the steamboat, en route for a most compulsory visit north. Marching single file across the gangway plank, then to the upper deck, we scattered in groups. The whistle blew, the ropes were cast off, The paddles revolved slowly, and the boat, sluggishly turning prow in the direction of Old Point, steamed swiftly down the river. Each man now received a blanket, also full rations, and as the shades of night fell on the scene, the songs of the Seventeenth Glee Club, or what was left of it, floated through the air, and they sang as men only can, who have light hearts and full stomachs. Well, soldiers are but children at best. For them the past was gone, the future was hidden, the present only was theirs the foe in our immediate front in this battle was the sixteenth massachusetts and second new york the latter capturing our battle flag on which was inscribed williamsburg and seven pines and the seventeenth charged in their ignorance the first brigade of hooker's division general grover commanding says in his official report about three o'clock p m the army moved upon general mccall's lines in our front and having broken them came down in great force upon our position The 16th Massachusetts Volunteers, being in position and on the immediate left of the road along which the advance was made, received and repulsed the heaviest and most persistent attempts of the enemy to break the lines. The 26th Pennsylvania Volunteers, on the left of the 16th, were not hard-pressed, and had not an opportunity to deliver its whole fire upon the enemy. The 11th Massachusetts was thrown upon the extreme left of our division lines, in anticipation of an attempt to turn our flank. As no such attempt, however, was made in force, this regiment did not become engaged during the day. The 1st Massachusetts and 2nd New Hampshire occupied a line in rear of the 16th Massachusetts and the 26th Pennsylvania Volunteers. But the steadiness and determination with which the 1st Line met the enemy, not only checking his advance, but causing him to withdraw from his position on the field, rendered any assistance at this time unnecessary from the 2nd Line. Rev Records, Volume 2, page 123 colonel kirk of the tenth pennsylvania also had a hand in our defeat he says "Reb records volume ten page four twenty five the enemy charged boldly upon the breastworks occupied by the twelfth pennsylvania when i charged successfully upon their flanks completely routing the enemy killing many and capturing about sixty prisoners the seventeenth virginia by their extreme losses in killed wounded and prisoners were almost wholly annihilated the official loss of the seventeenth virginia was eighteen killed twenty-three wounded and seventy-three taken prisoners as in seven pines the seventeenth lost more in killed than all the rest of the brigade put together now just read what our brigade commander says about this fight about five p m an order was received from general longstreet to advance by line Advance continued to be conducted in good order until, very soon, coming upon the pickets of the enemy, the men seemed to be possessed of the idea that they were upon the enemy's main line. The whole brigade charged forward in double-quick time and with loud cheers. Nothing could have been more chivalrously done, and nothing could have been more unfortunate, as the cheering of the men not only served to direct the fire of the enemy's batteries, and the movement in double-quick time through dense woods— over rough brown encumbered with matted undergrowth and crossed by a swamp had the effect of producing more or less confusion and breaking the continuity of the line which however was preserved as well as it possibly could have been under the circumstances but a single idea seemed to control the minds of the men which was to reach the enemy's line by the directest route and in the shortest time and no earthly power could have availed to arrest or restrain the impetuosity with which they rushed toward them for my orders previously given with great care and emphasis to assembled officers of the brigade, forbade any movement in double-quick time over such ground when the enemy were not in view. The obstructions were such as to make it impossible for any officer to see more than a few files of his men at one view, and it was apparent that any effort to halt and reform the entire brigade would be futile, and would only serve to produce increased confusion but whatever the error of the men advancing too rapidly in disregard of previous orders to the contrary it was an error upon the side of bravery after advancing in this way probably one thousand or one thousand two hundred yards crossing two bodies of woods and a small intermediate field the line suddenly emerged into another field facing a battery of the enemy consisting of not less than eight pieces distant but a few hundred yards while the enemy's infantry were found protected by an imperfect and hastily constructed breastwork and a house nearby. At the same time, it became apparent that another battery of the enemy was posted a considerable distance to our left. These two batteries and the enemy's infantry poured an incessant fire of shell, grape, canister, and lead upon our line, and did much execution. Still there was no perceptible faltering in the advance of these brave men, who rushed across the open field, pouring a well-directed fire into the enemy, driving him from his breastworks and the battery in our front. The guns of the battery were abandoned to us for the time being, and my command was virtually in possession of the chosen position of the enemy. A more impetuous and desperate charge was never made than that of my small command against the sheltered and greatly superior forces of the enemy. The ground which they gained from the enemy is marked by the graves of some of my veterans who were buried where they fell." and those graves marked with the names of the occupants situated at and near the position of the enemy show the points at which they dashed against the strongholds of the retreating foe the idea of this brigade rushing blindly forward was preposterous a mob might have done so but this command was splendidly drilled, was commanded by educated officers, and the discipline was perfect. And when General Kemper writes that these veteran soldiers broke into a wild, fool rush over hill and dale, ignoring their officers commands, and he too being present in person, he simply states a fact that military men cannot credit. Some officers lose their nerve, their brains refuse to act, their judgment becomes numbed in times of great peril. It is not a question of bravery. It is simply a matter of temperament. End of chapter 23